that get saved, the rest of us that are saved, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be challenged, and Lord, not just to be challenged, but Lord, that we might take the preaching tonight and do something with it, and bless now the time we have together, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'll quickly go through the stuff we have. We've been trying to keep it short so that Brother Coral has, has all the time he needs to preach, but right now we want to introduce any of the folks, if you're here from another church, uh, especially if you're a pastor or a youth pastor, but if you're from another church, if you'll stand up. And uh, the head of the group, or whoever the, the group is, if you'll tell us who you are. Start right here, young man. Uh, yes, my name is Adam, and this is my beautiful Thank you. you may, some of you remember Sarah. She used to be in school before we kicked her out. I'm just joking. We didn't <laughs> kick her out. Good to have you guys tonight. Back there, the little guy in the back. All right, and it's good to see Mrs. Lear. Max is around here somewhere. I know he is here. I saw him earlier, but good to have you folks with us. Again, uh, don't forget to pray for the folks on the prayer list. The new prayer list is the green one on the back pew. We're praying for, we always pray for Preacher and Cindy. Brother Yala has been here this week, and that's a blessing, but again, still getting his strength back, so don't forget to pray for him. Continue to pray for the meeting. We've had a good meeting so far, uh, but we still have tonight and tomorrow night, so we want to uh, have some good, again, some good, good evenings each of those nights. Actually, tonight and tomorrow night and the night after, but uh, I keep thinking, when I do stuff like this, I forget what day it is, so I forget today's Monday, but uh, so we'll have preaching here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7.30. Always pray for Melissa Wallace and the the new baby that's coming, uh, Dominique, and and then as far as other folks, Keegan still hasn't started his cancer treatment, and there's other folks on the prayer list for you to keep up with. Brother Reese is having a procedure done uh, on Thursday at around noon, so pray for him. I believe we sold out Sunday morning. I don't think we even had any Sunday nights. So we sold out Sunday morning. Uh, but again, he'll tell you more about the books and things later. But again, good, good reading material, good music, all that stuff on the back table. You won't find it at a Bible bookstore in town or anywhere else. So make yourself available to it. Um, don't forget to continue to pray for uh, all the stuff going on in Israel. Uh, sometimes I don't like listening to the news because the news isn't always good news. Uh, but uh, again, don't forget to pray for the folks over there. Uh, our regular stuff, after Brother Coral leaves, Thursday's still so winning. Uh, Saturday, still bus visitation at 9.30, so winning at 10.45, and then back in our places for Sunday school and church next Sunday. So again, our schedule for the next three nights is 7.30 every night, uh, and then Thursday on, be back to our regular schedule. All right, must Jesus bear the cross alone? Two seventeen. Must Jesus bear the cross alone? time and the first time in a long time slip your hand up I know we got some folks here the Castiles don't have to but everybody else needs to we got a young man in the back Peter tell us who that young fellow is with you 
We'll forgive you for the Navy part, but we're glad you're together. All right. Miss Christina, tell us who the young lady is sitting next to you. Well, we forgive you for working with Henry, but good to have you tonight, Anna. So, all right, anyone else? And you already met Sarah and the young man with her. Anyone else? Don't want to miss anyone? All righty. Brother Cole read these verses earlier, I think Sunday morning, maybe in Sunday school. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For our foundation can no man, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work should be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And someone wrote a song about that. Don't be left standing in the ashes before the Lord. Christ is the foundation which we can build upon. Some build hay and stubble. Some build stones but in that day when we stand before him we'll receive for this life we've lived for there the fire shall try it what it is will be Before the Lord, for everyone shall receive their just reward, and some will suffer loss to receive no reward. Standing in the ashes before the Lord. When we walk, we should walk in the Spirit. Let our lives lift up Christ before all. When we serve, we should serve because we love. Having lived our whole life in vain And to look at the face of our Savior And knowing the great price He paid Don't be left
haven't noticed brother and mrs Wynn is here now the tradition they have with their church he likes for all the guys come up and give him a big hug and a kiss on the right cheek do not kiss him on the left cheek that's not a good thing but the right cheek i'm just joking brother Wynn. brother Wynn always gets me back and i never can tell when he's serious and when he's not because most time he's not but i never know because he's he's got that that expression so make sure you go say hi to the winds afterwards we appreciate them being here if you were here last night, uh, you already know that brother, brother, or all day yesterday, Brother Coral preaches the Word of God. So again, grab your Bible. That's where he's going to be at. He's not going to be speaking to you from the Reader's Digest or someplace else. But again, follow along tonight, pay attention, and you'll learn something if you listen on purpose. And again, visitors, thank you for being here tonight. We sure appreciate it. All right. I think the ushers have the envelopes for revival fires. I want to encourage you, if you do not get the paper, to subscribe to it. And I told you during the meeting, you can get a $10 subscription. Normally, it's $18 a year, which is a dollar and a half a month. And if you're a pastor, I would encourage you to get one of the bulk cards or right on the envelope, get a bundle of papers sent to the church. Uh, you can get them in bulk. I believe they're 70 cents or 75 cents a piece. So if you get 20 of them, it'd be $14 or $15, depending. I can't remember if it's 70 or 75. Uh, but uh, that's an inexpensive way to get it, make it available to your people. just want to encourage you to do that. I think the ushers have the envelopes. If you would like one, just slip a hand up. I'm not going to take a lot of time and pull on you, but if you'd like an envelope, slip a hand up. We'll get one to you as quickly as possible. Okay. I know some of you get it, and I know that the church here gets the bundle of papers every month, but you may want to send it to somebody else at that price, too, a lost person. They, the ladies at the table will have the envelopes. They'll be available out there. And why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. We'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 18. I'm going to talk to you for a little while tonight about the rapture question. You know, when I was a young Christian, there was lots of preaching on the rapture. I don't know the day or the hour, but I can tell you that we're almost 50 years closer to the coming of Christ than we were when I got saved and all that preaching was going on concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus. There's not a great deal of that going on now, and some of it that's being done is teaching error about the return of Christ, about the rapture. So look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to let you go ahead and remain seated. Uh, you've done your jumping jacks for tonight, so I'm going to let you sit. Just don't dare go to sleep. That's what this stack of books is for, just to wake people up. So if I catch somebody sleeping, I may sail a book in that direction. If I were you, and you have somebody near you sleeping, I'd wake them up because I'm not as good a shot as I used to be. <laughs> I may be after them and get you by accident. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we love you tonight, and thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you'd fill and use me in these moments. I ask you to bind the enemy, the strong man off the service. We plead the blood of Christ on this place. 
We ask, Lord, for your hedging about, and I pray you'd prepare hearts. I pray that you'd help folks to be receptive to truth and instill urgency in all of us in these last days. I pray you'd do a work in our midst, save the lost, and stir your people to real, genuine revival, and we'll give you the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. He's talking to saved people, and he said, there are some things I do not want you to be ignorant of. What you don't know will hurt you. So it's important that I know. I'm supposed to be in this book, know what God said, and understand the scriptures. And these people apparently were dealing with some confusion. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That verse is not teaching soul sleep. When Jesus talked about Lazarus, he told his disciples that Lazarus sleepeth. Oh, he'll do well if he sleeps. And then he told them plainly he is dead. He wasn't talking about his soul sleeping. He was talking about his body lying there lifeless. And that's what happens when the soul leaves the body. It is lifeless. The body sleeps in the grave, but the soul is very much alive. If you remember in Luke chapter 16, we have Lazarus dying, being carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and he was there comforted. You cannot comfort somebody who is in an unconscious state, in a state of soul sleep. The next verse, or the tail end of that verse, says the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, Nobody could be tormented if they were in a state of soul sleep or unconsciousness. And so it's very apparent that when people die, they go immediately to heaven or hell, but they do not have their glorified body as a believer. Uh, I certainly believe they're identifiable, but they don't have a body like Jesus had uh, when he came back and came through the doors. So it tells us uh, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He said, if you have a loved one that died, they're a born-again Christian, they died in the Lord, don't worry, we're not leaving them behind at the rapture. They're going up just a split second ahead of us, and we'll be behind them, we're going to be with them, meet the Lord in the air with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And by the way, so shall we ever be with one another, uh, because they're going to be caught up with us. But he said that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Uh, he said, you're going to sorrow when you lose somebody. You experience loss and grief. Nothing wrong with me grieving over the loss of a loved one. I lost something. They may have been born again. If my loss is their gain. But the tragedy is there's an emptiness in my heart and uh, I've lost something precious to me. And the Bible tells us that we sorrow, but we don't sorrow as them that have no hope. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 12 that at that time uh, you were strangers from the covenant of promise and all those things. He said, without God in the world and having no hope. No hope. The lost world has no hope. The word hope speaks of a confident anticipation of good. They have no hope of being reunited with their loved ones. No hope of heaven based on truth. Uh, they are in a sad and pathetic state. It's hard enough for us when we lose somebody. I can't imagine how it is for the lost world when they're in their hopelessness. And uh, Titus 2 verse 13 said that you and I are looking for the blessed hope. That's the rapture when the Lord Jesus comes in the air for us. And uh, we grieve, but we don't grieve like others which have no hope. And he gives us the condition of being raptured here. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. Did you notice he's bringing them with him? They're already with him. He's bringing them back to claim a glorified body. That body of theirs lies in the grave, but the person, the soul, was with the Lord. They're coming back with him. But he said the criteria of being raptured or the criteria of the first resurrection is if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also would sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. 
Then he says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Apparently that's something they were struggling with and had been told it was going to happen. So they were in fear that they were going to leave their loved ones behind in the grave when the rapture took place. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, uh, you know, we're going to be caught up. Those words caught up are the key to this entire sermon. Uh, to be caught up has several definitions. It means a, a number of things. And the most basic definition is a snatching away without any previous warning. But there were other applications of the word. And we'll look at those just briefly tonight as we go through the passage. But it said, she'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now folks, this post-trib pre-wrath crowd they have their rapture in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. There is no gathering of people in the clouds. These people are tribulation martyrs in white robes who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They're gathered around the throne. It's the same crowd that we saw when the fifth or sixth seal was open when they cried out and said, How long, O Lord? Uh, and then at the beginning of chapter 7, we have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed, sent out. These are the converts that they had, the harvest of souls. And those people who get saved during the tribulation are going to be martyred for their faith. They'll be killed by the Antichrist and his forces. The only place the rapture fits in the book of Revelation is chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us that John, uh, there was a door open and he heard a voice and the Lord said, come up hither and John was caught up. Uh, that matches everything. He heard a voice as a trumpet. That matches everything 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says, matches everything uh, that 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 says, two of the strongest rapture passages in the Bible. And uh, so he tells us in verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. To be quite frank with you, I don't get much comfort out of going halfway through the tribulation. That doesn't comfort me much. Uh, you realize that uh, by the time you get to this position, about uh, 3 billion people have died uh, as a result of judgment. I said 3 billion. The world's population is about 8 billion right now. And about 3 billion to 4 billion of them have already died by the time you reach this point. And uh, that doesn't comfort me a great deal. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 19, when the angel came to get Lot, the backslider, yeah. out of the city, yeah. he took him by the hand, literally had to lead him out of the city. He didn't go willingly. And he said, I cannot do anything until thou art out of the city. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Genesis chapter 5, at the darkest hour before the flood, God raptured Enoch. And then he sealed Noah in the ark through the flood. I think that pretty well pictures the rapture of the born-again believer at the darkest hour before this age or period of judgment, this seven-year period, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week of years. Uh, and then God sealed Noah, and he's going to seal 144,000 Jews, and the Antichrist can't kill them. He's going to seal them through the tribulation period and use them as Jewish evangelists preach the gospel. So the Bible makes it clear uh, that uh, the rapture, it, the only place it fits, the only place you have somebody being caught up and they're in the spirit, they're before a throne, and the, and the Lord begins to reveal things. He said, I'm going to show you the things which must be hereafter. Yeah. Well, the hereafter, prophetically, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. And following the rapture are the things that are to come. 
And uh, that has to do with that period of time that we spoke of. So he makes it clear that there's going to be a snatching away. There will be a rapture. There will be the first resurrection, the resurrection of those who have died in the Lord and uh, the rapture of those who are alive, who know Christ as their Savior. And uh, when the rapture takes place, we'll be caught up. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. General Electric tells us that the twinkling of an eye is 11 one-hundredths of a second. That means that the rapture will be over in a tenth of a second. If you're going to be prepared when it takes place, you must be prepared now. If you're going to get saved, you need to be saved now. We have no timeline or no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture. It could happen in the middle of this sermon. And if you don't know Christ is your Savior, you would be left behind. Doesn't matter how much religion you have. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized to your waterlogged. Doesn't matter if you joined every church in town or if you live a good moral life. None of those things can save you. Uh, Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the rapture takes place, we're going to learn that it finalizes some things for those who have heard and rejected the gospel. They didn't, they're not ignorant. They're not in blindness. Uh, These people heard and said, no, not now. No, not today. I'm not ready now, not willing now, some other time. So we've now looked at the text, but I want to spend the rest of the time that I have on those words caught up. They come from an old verb that has several different definitions, and it doesn't correct anything. It just expands the idea of what's going to take place. It fits everything. It's amazing to me how clear the Bible is. When you start looking at the etymology of words and defining them, uh, God uses a word that had four definitions, and all four, all four of the definitions fit the description of what the rapture really is. But the first of those is a snatching away without any previous warning. Now, that's why God asked the question in Hebrews 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You know, somebody can have to explain to me why somebody has to twist your arm to receive a free gift that's going to deliver you from hell, that's going to land you safe and sound in heaven. You know, when people reject something like that, make me kind of think there might be a devil. And it might make me, th- might make me think they might be listening to him instead of God. Uh, because they're making a decision that logically doesn't make any sense. Nobody wants to burn in hell. And nobody wants to miss the rapture and be left behind for the tribulation hour. But oftentimes people say, I'm just not ready right now. I'll do that when I'm ready. No, you won't. You're going to miss your window of opportunity. The time to escape is now, and that's all that we're sure of. God said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't know when now is. God said now, and you better not retort with later. So he tells us that it's a snatching away without any previous warning. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So then, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that giveth us, save people, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory even over death, over the grave, victory over Satan, victory over sin, victory over hell. He giveth us the victory when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But there must be a time and place when we settle that. You know, there's going to be a lot of people caught unprepared. And if you get caught lost, you've heard the gospel, and I mean 
Basically, folks, you've heard enough, enough gospel tonight that if you miss the rapture, I'm, we're not halfway through the sermon, but if you miss the rapture, you're not going to get saved. So what makes you think that? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 is describing the Antichrist, and it said he's going to come with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Talking about those who die and go to hell. Don't forget, John 3.16 tells us Christ died on the cross as our substitute so that if we believed on him, we would not perish. If we live a normal lifespan, we're going to physically die, but we're not going to perish as believers. To perish has to do with being separated from God for all eternity. But it says, them that perish, why are they going to perish? Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Ah, they heard the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, because of that, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all, A-L-L, might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You say, why would a loving God do that? Folks, listen to me. You don't get an unfair advantage. If you don't enter by faith now, you're not going to enter by sight after you see what God said was going to happen take place. Salvation is by grace through faith and the shed blood, and my faith is rooted and grounded in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And please don't tell me if you love sin too much to repent and receive Christ right now that when it's going to cost you your head, you'll go ahead and receive Christ knowing you're going to be killed for it. People live for the gratification of the flesh and they put it off, delay and delay and delay over and again talking about what they're going to do at some other time. Too many are going to be caught by surprise. You know, Napoleon uh, was a pretty stern leader. And if he caught a sentry asleep on sentry duty, he would be executed because he had jeopardized the lives of all in camp as he slept. On one occasion, Napoleon, who was pretty much an insomniac, didn't sleep well, was walking the perimeter of the camp. And he came upon a slump figure. It was one of his centuries who had sat down, fallen asleep. His musket had fallen from his lap, and there he was. Napoleon did not wake the man. He picked up his musket and stood his guard through the night. In the morning, as the sun began to rise and it cast a shadow of Napoleon over the slump figure of the man, the man began to rustle, and as he awakened and saw Napoleon standing his guard, he said, oh no. He's come! And I was asleep, and it's too late. Napoleon turned and shot him. The Lord Jesus is not going to shoot anybody, but I assure you that many that are sleeping the sleep of apathy tonight are going to miss their opportunity, miss their window of opportunity. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, it's high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we began. That's not about the salvation of the soul. You understand that at Calvary, Jesus not only purchased salvation for my soul, he purchased me a new body. I don't have that yet. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 talks about the whole creation groaning, travailing in pain for the redemption of the body. Hey, when I got saved in January 15, 1975, at that moment, I was forever saved from the penalty of sin. Never been in jeopardy for one moment since. And every day, as I yield to the Holy Spirit and obey the scriptures, I'm saved or delivered from the power of sin. It's not automatic. There are a lot of saved people uh, that are under the dominion of sin, and they don't have to be. They could live in victory. But when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be saved from the very presence of sin. I'm going to have this old fallen nature that plagues me daily. It'll be gone, and I'm going to get my glorified body. So when he talks about our salvation being nearer than when we began, he's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about getting a new body at the redemption of the body at the rapture. So he tells us that 
to be caught up has to do with being snatched away without any previous warning. It's going to happen suddenly. Suddenly. It will be over and we will be in his presence if we're saved or be left behind wondering where everybody went. But there's a second definition of the words caught away. That is uh, to tear away from other loves. Literally to have to tear away from something. I mentioned Lot just a moment ago. That when it was time to leave Sodom, the angel literally had to take him by the hand and lead him out of the city. And Lot's wife is looking back with yearning and nostalgia for Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the vilest cities on the planet, about to be judged with fire and brimstone coming down from heaven. And uh, they literally had to be driven or led out, taken out by force for their own protection. And I'm afraid too many of us have two fists full of the world, two fists full of sin, two fists full of carnality, we're materialists and hedonists. Uh, I didn't say heathen. Heathen is just pleasure lovers. Tell about the gratification of the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you this, God did not create us for our pleasure. According to Revelation chapter 4, it said he created everything he created for his pleasure. Amen. Better be careful about living for your pleasure instead of his pleasure. Going to self-destruct in the process. You know, the Bible tells us that if we're really anticipating his coming, in uh, 1 John 3 and verse 3, the Bible said, he that hath this hope in him, that's the blessed hope, anticipating the sudden return, the imminent return of Christ in the air, anticipating the rapture. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, if I'm really, when I was a boy, living at home. If my dad gave me a command and I was expecting him home, I got busy doing what he said. But there were days when I didn't think he'd be home right away, so I stopped and played sandlot football. And sure as the world, I'd hear him revving that 55 Chevy with a glass pack on it. He'd rev it twice. Every time he pulled in the driveway, if he pulled in and stopped, boom, boom. He'd shut it off. I'd be playing football down at the corner. Hadn't been home to do the mowing he told me to do. And he'd pull in a it, and I knew it was a bad sign when he was loading my bicycle in the trunk. That was never a good sign. So I was in trouble. I thought I had more time. I thought I could still get home, get started on the yard, but he showed up when I was not expecting it. And I'm afraid the Lord Jesus is going to catch a lot of us by surprise. And, uh, you know, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 said we're supposed to set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Set your affection. You know, the world's a thief that's trying to steal your affection. 1 John 2.15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you realize how strong that statement is? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He said, you can't be in love with the world and love God too. It's either or. That means that a lot of people that are saved don't really love God. They claim to. And maybe they want to. But it's not possible because they're in love with the world. When I talk about the world, I'm not talking about sinners or the planet. I'm talking about the system. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the course of this world. The course of the world has to do with the flow of society. And too many of God's people are being swept along with the flow of society. Too many are in love with everything the world's in love with. Uh, We spend all our time looking at the visible instead of the invisible. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 says, While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, he tells me where I'm supposed to direct my attention. I'm supposed to not only set my affection, but direct my attention looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, You know, 
I learned a long time ago, if you don't look where you're going, you usually end up going where you're looking. Hey, Demas was Paul's fellow laborer. But Paul said, having left this present world, he didn't find something he wasn't looking at. He lost his focus. The world stole his attention and then stole his affection. And I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And I sure can't do that and be in love with the world and everything that's in total conflict to God in his holiness. So he tells us then uh, that some people are like Lot are going to be caught up, torn away. They're not living for eternity. Everything they live for, they're going to leave behind. They left their empire behind. They didn't lay up any treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. They didn't do that. All their treasures here. The problem with that is where a man's treasure is, there was heartbeat also. And if my treasure's here and this is my kingdom and this is what my life's about, my heart's here too. It's not on the other side. Folks, if you had $10,000 and you were leaving one house and moving to another house and you had $10,000, would you invest it where you're leaving or would you invest it where you're going? Apparently, you'd invest it where you're leaving because that's what you're doing spiritually. We invest a great deal more in temporal things than we do in eternal things. We're not sending it ahead and too often our affections here and we try to convince ourselves otherwise. But we're impressed with the world and all of its wealth and all of the things it has. You know, Alexander the Great uh, was a very vain man and he conquered, basically conquered the known world by the time he was 30 years old, 33. And um, Alexander would carry a portable throne with him. He would carry the crown jewels and a scepter the royal apparel. And every time he would conquer a new land, a city, or a country, his subjects would surround him. And by the way, he did not take prisoners. He either killed everybody or drove them out and repopulated with his own people. But every place that he defeated, he'd set that throne up in the town square. He'd put the royal apparel on, the crown jewels, take the scepter, mount the throne, lift his scepter to the sky, and his subjects would bow and declare him king of another domain. On one occasion, Alexander was about to begin his little vanity fair, and one of his soldiers came and said, Sire, we have found three people hiding nearby. What shall be done with them? Normally, he would have killed them. But it irritated him, and so he looked at that young man. It was a young man, his young bride, and his mother-in-law. And Alexander looked down at them and asked the young man, he said, Young man, what would you give for your life? He said, Sir, for my life, I would give my service for the rest of my life. And then, because he answered, well, it angered Alexander. He said, Tell me. What would you give for the life of your bride and her mother? And without hesitation and with as much sincerity as he could possibly have, the young man looked into the eyes of Alexander and said, for their lives, sir, I would gladly give my life. It stunned him. He knew the young man was sincere. He told the soldier, release them. Get them out of my presence so I can start my ceremony. As they walked off, the mother leaned to her daughter and said, did you see the size of the diamonds in that crown? Did you see the rubies and the emeralds in the scepter? She said, no, mother, I I really didn't notice. I had eyes only for him who would die for me. Maybe, just maybe. We ought to have eyes only for him who has died for us. We're impressed with the crown jewels of the God of this world, Satan and all the wealth and the other things that he offers and what the ungodly are basking in in these dark times 
Better be careful. Keep your focus where you're going. Make your investment where you're going. Be prepared. Don't be torn away. Be willing to go gladly because that's where your treasure is. But there's a third definition. It has to do with bringing into one's physical presence for inspection. And I won't park here long, but he quoted the scripture before he sung on 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man built upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work should be manifest, for it should be tried by fire of what sort it is. And truly, I don't want to spend a lifetime as a Christian and have a pile of ashes, nothing to lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus. In Revelation chapter 4, immediately following the rapture, you have the four and twenty elders casting their crowns at the feet of the Lord Jesus. He's on a throne. This is not a throne of condemnation or judgment. It's his coronation day. His subjects cast their crowns at his feet to honor him and to worship him. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And I'd sure like to have something to say, thank you. Thank you for what he's done for a sinner like me. But 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 said, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I'm going to receive according to that I have done. Do you know what I have done? Whatever I decided to do. God made me a free moral agent. I have the capacity to do right or do wrong. By the way, so do you. But I am accountable for my choices. I said the other day, people were always complaining, saying, well, I just don't think a loving God would send a sinner to hell. A loving God sent his son to Calvary, and he does not take hostages to heaven. Everybody's invited. The payment's been made. He tasted death for every man. And if you abuse that power of choice, you'll pay the consequence of abuse. You cannot have the power of choice and blame God for the consequences of your choices. You can't have it both ways. Not possible. And there are going to be folks that were going to get saved one of these days, but they never did get it done. And uh, they're going to have to give account. They're going to be left behind. There are going to be a lot of saved people that have a pile of ashes. They did nothing, nothing with their lives. Must I go in empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not a soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? No, I don't have to go that way. That's how most people are going. You know, you don't have to be super soul winner. You don't have to be a millionaire. You just have to do what you're supposed to do. Everybody has a part. I'm supposed to be investing in eternity, looking to heaven, preparing for that day instead of living for this day, this moment, this hour in time, living for that time. You know, Paul did that. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, verse 6, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He was about to be martyred, not raptured. Time of my departure is at hand. He said, I fought a good fight. Have you been in the fight or is your life's verse the first four words of Ephesians 6 and verse 12? For we wrestle not. That's the truth about most of God's people. They're spiritual pacifists. Not willing to stand and contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. He said, I didn't change courses. I didn't run somebody else's course. I didn't stop halfway. He said, I finished my course, and it was an obstacle course. It included three shipwrecks, being beaten with rods, scourged, imprisoned multiple times, being betrayed by false brethren, a night and a day in the deep at Lystra when he was stoned to death and God raised him miraculously back to life. Huh? Hey, it was not an easy trail. We're so stinking soft and pathetic in America. And Christianity has become so soft and fluffy. I mean, people can't even bear it when you tell them they're wrong about something. They act like you attack them with an axe. Oh, you're mean. 
Well, probably meaner than I should be, but God's truth is, when I'm told I'm wrong about something and the Bible is the source that proves it, maybe I ought to go ahead and humble myself and get it right instead of being upset because of the delivery. Uh, but Paul said, I fought a good fight and finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's that body of truth essential to Christianity's existence. I've kept the faith. I held the line. I finished without abandoning the faith. I didn't change what I believed. Didn't change Bibles. Didn't change my standards. And didn't change music and all that kind of stuff. And then he said, there, he said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. What day? Rapture, revelation, or excuse me, rapture and the, uh, the first resurrection. Huh? He said, the Lord's given that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You say, oh, preacher, I love the Lord. He didn't say all them that love the Lord. He said, all them that love his appearing. And I told you earlier some things about me and my dad. You know, I always loved my dad. Always. Whether I was in trouble or not, I always loved my dad. But I did not always love his appearing. Sometimes he showed up and caught me being an idiot. That was in trouble. I was not happy to see him. I'd kind of like the rapture to be the greatest day of my life instead of life's most embarrassing moment. To have to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus who died for me without any excuse and him look to the depths of my soul with those blazing eyes that John saw in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. In all of his glory, you won't make excuses then. Hmm. But there's one last definition of the words caught, caught up. It has to do with being delivered from danger or judgment. Just remember, the tribulation hours, Daniel's 70th week, and in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, it is described as the time of Jacob's trouble. God calls the nation of Israel Jacob when he's speaking of them in their blindness and unbelief. He uses Israel's pre-conversion name. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. Time of Jacob's trouble. And he said, alas, that day is great so that none is like it. Uh, the Bible tells us how awful that period of time is. We're delivered from it, not because we deserve it, but by the grace of God that saves us from hell if we trust Christ. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, the Bible said, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Same salvation we talked about a while ago, Romans 8, 23, uh, the redemption of the body. I'm already a born-again Christian. Those people were already saved. He wasn't telling them they were going to get saved. He was telling them that the fullness of what he purchased is going to be taken care of soon. Going to get a glorified body. I'll be honest with you. I'm anxious for mine. This is about at it. Huh? Amen. I have no death wish, but I'm telling you, this body's showing the wear and tear. And I'm just kind of excited about it. Revelation 3 and verse 10. He said, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from, out of, that hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world. Let's see if he's going to keep me out of it and it's going to come upon all the world. I guess I'm not going to be on, in the world. He said to try them that dwell upon the earth. So if it's not going to happen to me and it's going to try all them that dwell upon the earth, I'm not going to be on the earth. That's the promise that he gives to us, the deliverance from judgment, a very age of judgment. You know, everything you and I have seen as far as judgment in our lifetime was tempered some with mercy and grace. But the wrath of God is going to be poured out without mixture. No mercy, no grace mixed in, pure wrath. It's an age of wrath. It's a period of judgment upon the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. And God will also be trying and dealing with his people during that period of time. 
So the Bible tells us that the rapture to be caught up is a snatching away without any previous warning. It's sudden, immediate. It's over before you realize it. It is a tearing away from other loves. Maybe you ought to be looking heavenward instead of clutching the world with both fists. It has to do with bringing into one's physical presence for inspection and we will give account. And it has to do with delivering from judgment, wrath, and trouble, which is certainly going to happen. You know, somebody asked John Wesley many years ago, they said, Mr. Wesley, if you knew upon good report that the Lord Jesus would come in the next 24 to 36 hours, what would you do? And Wesley said, well, he said, I would ride my horse to Pastor Martin's house. Said we'd have prayer this evening and eat supper. He said we'd have an evening service. He said we'd retire, go to bed. He said I'd rise at 4 a.m., read my Bible and pray for several hours. He said then he and I would do some street preaching. We'd come home, have prayer and eat lunch. He said in the afternoon we'd visit the sick and do some uh, evangelistic visits. And he said we'd come back to the house. We would have a bite to eat, evening prayer, have the evening service. He said, I'd retire and wake up in glory. So what did he say? What he said is this. If I knew on good report that the Lord Jesus would come in the next 24 to 36 hours, I wouldn't change a thing. I would do exactly what I'm planning to do. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that he'd come in the next 24 hours, what would you change? Who would you witness to? What would you put in the plate that belongs to God you've been hanging on to? What do you have in your life that you'd get out of your life? I mean, what are you guilty of you'd confess and forsake? If you believe that he'd come in the next 24 hours. You know, he could come in the next 24 seconds. So whatever you would change, if you knew he was coming, you better go ahead and change. Because I believe that, and I know it's the next thing on God's prophetic calendar, and I'm truly expecting the Lord Jesus to come, not because we deserve deliverance. We don't deserve deliverance. We deserve judgment. Christianity has been so pathetic and sorry that we've allowed the world to turn into a cesspool all around us, even a nation that was founded on Christianity. I just believe that God's dealing with people in these, and by the way, I'm finding people when I go soul winning, I'm finding people very open. You might ought to go sometime and find out. It's not nearly as hard as you want to believe it is. I'm finding people who are pretty eager to talk and listen to get saved. But somebody has to tell them. Harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Go ye therefore. That's the command. You know, a little boy came to his mother. His daddy was a Christian man and his daddy had died. And a little boy came to his mother and he was asking her, said, Mama, where, where's daddy? And his mother told him, son, Jesus needed him and he came and got him. And one of these days, Jesus is going to come and get us. And that little boy sat there for a moment and thought about that. He looked at his mother and said, Mama, if Jesus is coming for us and we don't know when, we better start packing. Maybe you ought to have the childlike faith that little boy had. Hey, if he's coming again, and he is. It could be in the next minute. It could be. Maybe you better start packing. Maybe you ought to set things in order and get ready to leave this place instead of acting like you're going to be here in this body of flesh forever. Living for there instead of here. Sending it ahead instead of hoarding it here. God help us to be ready for the rapture. Better start packing. And if you hadn't got prepared to get caught out, you don't know Christ is your Savior, salvation's an emergency. This is not some back burner issue you can do when you please. 
You better settle it now because now may be the only opportunity you have. I wonder tonight how many folks in this crowd could honestly say, Preacher, if I died where I sit right now, I am 100% sure that I am born again on my way to heaven for 